Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Well, you're there in Matthew 27. Look at verse number 45. Matthew 27 and verse number 45. The Bible says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. It's about noon until about three o'clock in the afternoon. Verse 46, the Bible says, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. Verse 49, the Bible says, the rest said, let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, verse 50, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Verse 51 is our text verse for tonight. And if you will um, read with me on verse 51, that'd be great, all right? Verse 51, ready, begin. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Verse 54, now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. We have prayed, and I've prayed much that the Lord would use me tonight. This is, of course, the account of the passion of Christ and the crucifixion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't want to frivolously go over this, and I don't want to casually go over this. I think that if we're not careful, um, those in perhaps my generation, I grew up in church and I've heard about the cross uh, hundreds of times. And um, the cross is very dear for us. I, I like the songs at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. I like those songs of Jesus suffering for us. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. In other words, the death that 
Christ died belonged to me. We should have been crucified because we deserve the eternal penalty of hell. And Christ took our place on the cross. If you're like me, sometimes we can casually read the account of the crucifixion and we overlook verse number 51. You'll find this verse also in Mark 15, 38, and you'll find it in Luke 23, 45, and now in Matthew 27, 51. The Bible says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The word behold here means to turn aside and see this great sight and be astonished at it. So it was not just a simple event or activity that happened during the time of Christ's crucifixion and after he died on the cross. This is something that we must give great attention to. The tearing of the curtain or the veil, in my humble opinion, is one of God's signs to us. Just as when God flooded the earth and afterwards promised that he would no longer flood the earth in that way, and he placed a beautiful rainbow in the sky, thus promising us as a sign that he would not flood the earth again. I believe that the veil or the curtain being torn in two is a sign of God's complete, full, and final direct access to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is an earth-shaking event. Darkness when there should have been light. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is completely heartbroken because she has seen her son viciously beaten upon the cross. All men forsook Jesus that day at the cross. And yet love stood there suspended in the air. Nails to the cross, feet to the cross, carbon dioxide filled the lungs of Jesus as he was running out of breath. They gave him vinegar to drink. They accused him. They mocked him. They plucked his beard. They gambled over his garments. They ridiculed the son of God. He was scourged and beaten with the cat of nine tails. He was completely bloodied, completely ridiculed, completely left to die alone on the cross. Love so amazing that there is not one poet that can write about his love or articulate his love. Love so amazing that there is no singers that can quite sing the beauty of his love. Love so profound, love so vast, love so big. I cannot describe his love and neither can you. The love of Christ for all humanity. It was the love of Christ that fastened his hands on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, the Bible says that he said, it is finished. It is finished meant it is completed. 
It is a single word in Greek which means tetelestai, means it is fully completed. It was not a cry, a submissive cry, or it was a shout of victory. Jesus completed all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Jesus completed all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ completed, most of all, the atonement to appease the wrath of God upon all humanity. The Bible says that, we are, that he was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Bible says that it pleased God to bruise his son. It is finished. All this would come to pass so that you and I can have direct access to God. You say, what does it mean to have direct access to God? Tonight I want to speak to you on our foundation of our access to God. What is the foundation of our access to God? What is it? First of all, I want you to see tonight, by way of, uh, of introduction there, the veil of the temple the veil of the temple. If you look closely there, the Bible says in verse number 51, in Matthew 27, in verse number 51, the Bible says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earthquake and the rocks were rent, the veil of the temple. You say, what is, what is that all about? Now, some of you that have been in church a long time understand this and others don't understand it, but uh, would you please take your Bible and go to Exodus 26? I want you to see this in the scriptures. Exodus 26. God, of course, liberated his people through the great leader Moses and um, God brought a great victory several times to them and delivered them from bondage. And now they're a tent-dwelling people, and so they live in tents. But just as they would have a tent and a home to abide in, God said, I want you to make me a tent. I want you to make me a tabernacle. And in Exodus 26, we find this in verse 31. Would you see it there, please? Exodus 26 and verse number 31. The Bible says, and thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple scarlet, and fine twined linen of cunning work, with cherubim shall it be made. Verse 32, and thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the, tat the tatches, and thou mayest bring in thither the veil of the ark of the testimony, which was the covenant, the literal presence of God. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. Verse 34, and thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. In other words, there was a physical barrier between God and the people. Now, I want you to understand that God is very detailed with this tent. This means a lot to God. This is not something that he's just throwing in last minute and saying, okay, you built the, the tabernacle or the tent exactly like you want if you got the, no, no, no. God is given specific detail and material on which to build this temple, a house made for God. Would you look at Exodus 29? I want you to see this, Exodus 29. 
In Exodus 29 and verse number 43, Exodus 29 and verse number 43, the Bible says, and there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister in the priest's office, verse 45. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. Verse 46, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. And here we see basically two pictures of the tabernacle. We see that it is a tented palace for Israel's divine king. God says, I want you to make me a house and I don't want you to take it lightly. I'm going to dwell in that house. And if you know the history there, the cloud that hovered over that tent represented that God was there, right? And so God is dwelling in that house. And he's got different articles and furniture that you can read over in the scriptures. He's got the table of showbread, and he's got the lampstand, the golden lampstand. He's got the, the, the mercy seat, and he's got all these, the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? And so God is dwelling in that place. So it, it symbolized the palace in which God would abide. And then the other symbol is that it was a kind of an Eden. It was the dimension of Eden, okay? It was the place of the Garden of Eden where God would dwell, and uh, there's several parallels there. The east-facing entrance guarded by the cherubim, the gold, the tree of life, the lampstand, the tree of knowledge the, equaling the law. Thus, God's dwelling in the tabernacle was a step toward the restoration of paradise. You say, well, Sammy, why would God emphasize so much him being among the people, but watch this, he was among the people, but he was apart from the people. So God says, I'm going to be among you, but I'm going to be apart from you. It was showing the other side of God. God is so holy. And I know this is not popular in today's society because if you look around, uh, man is so big and God is so small. Man is praised and God is hated. That's the society in which we live. And even in our hearts, we deceive ourselves and we think we're not arrogant and we're not proud and we don't boast, but if you take an inner look, a deep look into your heart, we all have the propensity to boast and we all have the propensity to be proud and we all have the propensity to think that we're better than we are. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself tonight. But God said, I'm gonna dwell in this tabernacle and I'm going to be among you, but I'm gonna be apart from you. May I remind you tonight that we serve a holy God the cherubims, the seraphims, the four and 20 elders, the saints of old cry out, holy, holy, holy. God is very holy. And God was so serious about the tent and the tabernacle that his children were building him. And God said, I, I, listen, I don't want you guys to play around with this because if you approach my tent incorrectly, it could cost you your life. May I remind us tonight that God is creator, that God is sovereign, that God is omnipotent, 
that God is omniscient, that God is omnipresent, that God is just, that God is holy, that God is long-suffering, that God Almighty is over everything created under the sun. I'm telling you tonight, God's people, God is a holy God. And God says, I'm going to dwell in this tent. I'm going to be among you, but I'm going to be apart from you. Leviticus 16 describes something so awesome. You say, what happens in Leviticus 16? Well, Leviticus 16 describes the Day of Atonement. This is a really deep study you could do on your own at another time. But basically, the high priest would go into the tabernacle, and he would go there annually, and he would take two goats. He would take one goat, and he would offer the blood upon the mercy seat as a sacrifice, and he would take the other goat, and the other goat was known as a scapegoat, and he would take both hands on that goat, and he would lead it out into the wilderness, representing the goat bearing the sins or bearing the transgressions of the people. I'm going to say that again, okay? So on the Day of Atonement, on, on once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, okay? Now going through that second veil, there was a veil to get into the holy place, but there was a second veil to get into the holiest of holies, okay? And so the high priest would go into the second part of the veil, and he would offer the blood on the mercy seat, and then he would take the second goat, and he would lead it out into the wilderness as the scapegoat representing bearing the sins of all the people. The hymn writer expressed it rightly. He said, holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, and there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love, and in purity. God is holy. We've seen the temple veil. Would you notice nextly right there, please? Next, we'll see it in verse number 51. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 27 and verse number 51. Next, we'll see the fleshly veil. The fleshly veil. Now, some of you are getting ahead of me, and I know that you know it. But verse number 51, the Bible says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Verse 52, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. Even the death of Christ transcends this time. And the Bible says they went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Verse 54, now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. Please mark this down in your Bible. It is only by prayer that we are granted a glimpse of Golgotha. You say, why is prayer so important? Because it is in prayer in the secret place that we see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. You see, it was after the death of Jesus Christ that the centurion and those around them declared, truly, this was the Son of God. And God, through the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, reveals that he truly is the Son of God. Turn your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter number 10, and we'll look at what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10 and verses 19 through 22. 
Hebrews chapter number 10 and verses 19 through 22. The Bible says there in Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse 19, the Bible says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, verse number 20, the Bible says, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, here it is, church, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus over his house, over God's church, the Bible says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, in other words, cleansed from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, it's talking about not baptism there. It's talking about the spirit of the grace of God and how it purifies our bodies, our souls, and our minds. He said the torn veil of the temple is representation of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God was so holy that in the Old Testament, the only way that you can get close to God was on an annual basis, and if you would accept the sacrifice from the high priest, then it would cover temporarily, at least for a year, the sins of the people, and one goat would be slain, and the blood would be poured upon the mercy seat, and the other goat would be led out into the wilderness, metaphorically burying the sins of the people. But the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, don't missed this. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the tearing of the temple, now we must understand, just as the way that God closed the door on Noah's ark is the same way that God tore the temple veil from the top all the way to the bottom. It was not a coincidence. It was a prophetic promise that came to pass. And right here, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the temple veil was in representation of the, of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in other words, the temple or the tabernacle is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus Christ is the true tabernacle. You see in Rome and in, in John chapter number one in verse, uh, uh, verse number 14, the Bible says, and the word was made flesh, speaking of Jesus, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. The Bible says that the word dwelt among us. The word dwelt right there in John chapter number one, the word dwelt means he tabernacled among us. And so we understand that Jesus was among us, but watch this, in the old covenant, God said, listen, I'm, I'm going to be among you, but I'm gonna be apart from you. But in the new covenant, Jesus Christ dwelt among us, but he was not apart from us. That's why Jesus drank with, uh, not drank, hung around the, the wine bibbers and the gluttons, and Jesus was around the down and out and Jesus healed the blind and Jesus made the lame to walk and Jesus fed the 5,000 and Jesus would heal every infirmity and he would do all these miracles. Why? Because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Praise the Lord. You see, Jesus is the true tabernacle. Jesus is the great and high priest over the house of God. I like this. Jesus is the one who comes directly to God. The Bible says we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the infirmities of mankind, right? The infirmities, the Bible says that is weaknesses. God, 
Jesus Christ knows our weaknesses. That's why it's amazing that God became man, though he knows how it feels to be betrayed. And so he knows how it feels to hunger. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to be sad. He knows what it's like to experience every infirmity that we've ever had. He knows what it's like, my brothers and sisters, to hurt. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to worry a little bit because he's 100% God. And that is the reason that he cried when Lazarus died. He cried because he whom thou lovest is dead. And so in his humanity, he broke down in spirit and he cried. That is the reason why he slept on a boat because he was tired. It's the reason why he said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God because he loves the little children. That is the reason why he would sit down and have a meal with common man. Why? Because he is 100% man. But thank God tonight that our high priest not only is 100% man, Jesus Christ is 100% God. Praise the Lord. Oh, he's God. And this is the reason why he went on the boat and he said, peace be still. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey? This is the reason why after four days that Lazarus was dead, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And there he comes out. His body stinketh, Linda. Jesus Christ turned water to wine. Why? Because he's God. Praise the Lord. Jesus is our high priest. You know, Jesus not only is our high priest, but Jesus is the lamb offered as the full and final sacrifice. Would you turn your Bibles and go to John chapter number one and verse 29? I want you to see this. John chapter number one and verse number 29. John chapter number one and verse number 29. You know the setting here. His cousin is out baptizing in the Jordan River. <laughs> Baptism of John of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse number 29, the Bible says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. <laughs> and John stops the service. He stops the baptismal service. <laughs> and here's what he says. Behold the Lamb of God. Look, there's the Lamb of God. Look, there's, there's the Lamb of God. Look, there's the Lamb of God. And to the Jews, they understood that terminology. The Lamb of God. Now, now John, we, we know the tradition of our fathers that that lamb was offered annually and it had to be offered continually, annually and continually to cover the sins of the people. Annually and continually, temporarily would cover the sins of the people. But John says the lamb of God, which covers does it say cover church? Does it say cover church? You can talk to me tonight. Does it say cover? No. 
What does the Bible say? Taketh away. This is very important for us to understand. Because the high priest would work hard to offer a clean animal for the sacrifice. And then he would send the lamb away bearing the sins of the people, but he knew that the next year he would have to do the same thing. When Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus Christ bears the cross. Jesus Christ dies a criminal's death. Jesus Christ, his blood was not like our blood. He was born of a virgin, and that which was conceived in the virgin was of the Holy Spirit of God. And so the blood of Christ is without blemish. The blood of Christ is without spot. The blood of Christ is the purest blood of all blood. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross and the shedding of blood was offered on the mercy seat in the holiest place in God's presence, he is indeed the last lamb and the last blood that would ever have to be offered for the sins of the people. And now we don't have to worry about taking the lamb into a tabernacle, into a tent, and we don't have to worry about going into the holiest place and feel like we're going to have to bear the wrath of God upon our life. No, my brothers and sisters, today in prayer, we can go directly to God, not worrying about being condemned, not worrying about being judged, not worrying about being cast away, not worrying about being destroyed. Today, every Christian who names the name of Jesus Christ can go directly to God because the Lamb of God didn't come to cover our sin. The Lamb of God came to take away our sins. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the blood of Jesus, church. Oh, yes. Oh, and when you understand these things, the writer says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Don't come timidly. Those of us who have children understand what come boldly means. Do I have a witness like that tonight? Do I have a witness on that? Children always aim high, don't they? Especially the Newport Beach kids. Hey, Daddy, can I have a 50? A 50? son, can you have a 50? I'd give you a five, but a 50? You know why they come with such confidence? <laughs> you know why, Brother Steve? Because their dad's rich. No. They come in my dulce. You know why? Because I'm their father. <laughs> I think some of you missed that. They come boldly. You know why they come boldly and confidently? Because I'm their father. So, Daddy, I want ice cream. Daddy, I want pizza. Israel's, Israel's been asking me for months to take him to Chuck E. Cheese. I said, Chuck E. Cheese is closed, man. No, it's not. I went by there the other day. We drove by there the other day. It says it's open. I know it's open just for dining. I just know it's open. Daddy, take me to Chuck E. Cheese. 
Isabella, I want a popsicle. Daddy, when are we making cake pops? You know why they come to me? Be because I'm their father. A prayerless Christian is an ungrateful Christian because they do not acknowledge the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. A prayerless Christian lives their life in complete aloofness, I don't even know if that's a word, to what Jesus did on the cross for them. They wake up on Monday morning, go to work. Tuesday, they do the whole thing over again. Wednesday, they watch a TV show, they pay bills online, they balance their checkbooks with the Chase app or Wells Fargo, Bank of America, credit union, whatever you got. And we live every day and we forget the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We forget what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus did it all. Jesus suffered the cross. And the reason he suffered the cross, yes, it was because of his obedience to the Father. Yes, it was because he loved us but he gave us much more than salvation. He gave us an access direct to God. Doesn't it bother you when you go somewhere and you're looking at different internet access points and you're like, man, I don't have any service. You wanna make a phone call. You wanna send a text. You wanna surf the web. You're like, man, there's no internet here. There's no Wi-Fi. How can I survive without Wi-Fi, right? First four problems. Well, I have a witness about that tonight, right? You're like, man, ticks me off. I can't even do my work because the Wi-Fi stinks, Chad. There's no connection. But we as Christians always have full access to the Father 24-7, 365. It doesn't matter if it's raining or shining. It doesn't matter if you're broke or if you're wealthy. It doesn't matter if you're smart or ignorant. We as Christians have direct access to the Father every day, every minute, every second, all the time. We can talk to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Oh, I can go directly to him. <laughs> you see, when you recognize that temple veil, it's really the fleshly veil of Christ. Then it helps you with number three, your veil. Would you turn in your Bibles and go to Exodus 34? I want you to see this very quickly. Exodus 34 in verse number 28. I have five minutes. I'm going to honor the time here. Exodus 34 in verse number 28. The Bible says, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Speaking of Moses, he did neither eat bread nor drink water. <laughs> and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Verse 29, and it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Verse 30, and when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come nigh to him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them, verse 32. And afterwards, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he came, and he gave the commandment in the Lord, and the Lord had spoken unto him in Mount Sinai, verse 33, until Moses had done speaking with them, 
he put a veil over his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. Verse 35, and the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him or with God. Paul would speak about this to the church in Corinth. Please turn there and go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And this will be the last place that we'll see tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 in verse number 13, please. Second Corinthians chapter number three and verse number 13. The Bible says in second Corinthians chapter number three and verse 13, and not as Moses, <laughs> which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. He's speaking about the law here. Verse 14, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Verse 15, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, the law is read, the veil is upon their heart. Verse 16, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. The veil of blindness and darkness and ignorance is upon the hearts of the Jews. Look what the Bible says, please, in verse number 17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what, church? Liberty. In other words, there is freedom. Freedom of the bondage of sin. Freedom of the bondage of attempting to keep the law. You see, Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. By the way, he's the only one that can fulfill the law. <laughs> Thank God for that. And some people have the veil over their hearts. They're trying to fulfill the law. They're trying to adhere to Moses' law. And the Bible says that that law is done away with. In other words, when Christ died, when Christ resurrected, he instituted a new covenant, take away the veil. And even as Moses went in, and some people think, oh, he, hit his, he, he, he put a face covering because they were afraid of, of, of the shiny face. No, no, no. Moses put a face covering over his face because he did not want them to see the fading glory of his face. You see, that was a fading glory. It was a concealed glory. But with Jesus Christ, we have a revealed glory. And I'm telling my brothers and sisters, even today, there are some to go, that go to God with a veil over their head and a veil over their heart, and they don't go to God transparently. But thank God Almighty that when God takes away the veil where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is freedom from addiction in Jesus' name, there is freedom from bondage in Jesus' name, there is freedom from 
pride in Jesus' name. There is freedom from criticism and comparison in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, one of the things that we do not take seriously enough is going to God in prayer. If we understood that we have direct access to God, if we understood that the drop, the, the blood that Jesus shed for us gives us direct access to God, if we understood that there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, if we understood, my brothers and sisters, that as we go to God, we have to be uh, very transparent and very sincere. I'm telling you tonight, if you cannot be sincere with God, then how are you going to be sincere with others? If you can't be real with God, then how can you be real with others? Go to God tonight and say, God, I'm not bringing anything to the cross of Jesus Christ. And as Christians say, I will no longer live my life in an ungrateful state, not recognizing what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I recognize tonight the priesthood of the believer. I can go directly to God at any time. That's why in the late midnight hour, when nobody understands your grief, you can drop down on bended knee and pray to God Almighty. And the same God who dwelt in the tabernacle is the same God who now dwells in this temple. And the same God who helped Moses. And the same God who helped Joshua. And the same God who helped Paul. And the same God who helped Peter. And the same God who conquered kingdoms. And the same God who's omnipotent. And the same God who's omniscient. And the same God of the olden days is now here through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he dwells within us. The Holy Spirit of God utters groanings to the Father. Thank God tonight that heals the one that heals our diseases. He's the one who dries our tears. He's the one who gives us cheer in the late midnight hour. He's the one who gives us energy to confront and the new challenges of every day. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry, hey, everything to God in prayer tonight. Decide with all of your heart, God, I will no longer stay outside the tabernacle. God, tonight I'm going in by the grace of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. The best thing to do about your prayer life is pray about your prayer life. Pray. Recognize the foundation that you have. Recognize all that Jesus did to give us direct access to God. <laughs> as far as the east is from the west, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Don't stay outside the tent. Don't stay outside the tabernacle. Go right on in. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Talk to Jesus about that. Oh, pray about everything. Pray about everything. He cares about every minute detail of our lives. Pray about everything. Talk to him. And I talked to him today. And my cares all fell away. Made me feel like life has just begun. Turn your cares to prayers tonight, church. 
Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Oh, if this world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, then you have to get along with me get fair. Just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.